And I got home, and I was weeping and crying, and Tina took me upstairs and uh, lay me on the bed. And then I just heard the tinkle of the collar, and he jumped up onto the bed, and he put his, put his head on my chest. And um, there was, that's, the, that's the empathy of the wild. Welcome to Unquestionable, with your hosts, Charles Perry Phillips and Sophie Green, where each week we dive into real and raw conversations with experts, creators, thought leaders and CEOs. With our guests, we'll be exploring some of the unquestionable truths behind psychology, mental health and relationships to gain a deeper understanding of human nature. So let's get into today's episode. Well, I guess when you're with a phone in, you're getting the black and white, aren't you? And you're the nuance. Yeah, a bit of that, but you can push it. It can be, you know, I can, there's some things I can't be black and white on. Yeah. You know, sometimes I, I, I did start, I find when we did the death penalty the other day and I stated my view on the death penalty because it's all right there. You can, you can't, you, you can't be impartial on some topics. I can't be impartial on some topics. Mm. But um, yeah, it must be hard because I'm imagining that when you're on air, you've kind of developed a bit of a persona for yourself. And so I'm guessing that sometimes that sort of slips and your own personal views. And, you know, we all have different upbringings and different experiences of the world and some stuff is more triggering for others. And mm. so there's there must be some conversation topics that are quite triggering for you personally based off of your own personal experience. There are there's some things I, I just I, I, I find it very difficult doing, for example, animal welfare phone ins, because I just know if somebody calls up and says, oh, well, they're just animals. I just think the ignorance is just uh, I know I've got to rise above it. But I just feel it's really pathetic. I just feel really triggered. And so I never do them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are other things which which are, you know, as awful and as terrible, but it's something that I just care. care. So of course I care passionate about, you know, you know, people in rubble and people in war, but it's just, there's something about ignorance. And in that particular instance, you get, you get ignorance. I can't stand ignorance. I can't stand people who haven't bothered to research and mm. or don't understand and have been living in their own behind their own walls and in their own silo. And uh, you know, scientific ignorance it just it just winds me up when it comes to other um, living species. And I, I just I know you agree. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Actually, we were talking about this yesterday. Wasn't yeah. it? We were talking about what our own personal things are like triggers in people yeah is that yours as well no funnily yeah. enough it like, was one of mine though it was mm. one of charles's and mm. i was saying oh that's funny because ignorance isn't a personal trigger for me but it's more um like the belittling and um yeah it's it's more being ignorant but then also stating your opinion as fact or putting other people down because it, my view is that we're all ignorant until we're not so i've been ignorant on certain things like topics and some of them like you know to do with animals like I was saying before I uh when I was a teenager we swam with dolphins because yeah. that was what people did when they went on holiday we went to Cuba and we we're like oh we loved animals this elephant trekking or whatever yeah mm. exactly and that was an ignorant thing to do but we didn't know better and now I do so I wouldn't do it and so I have I have time for people if they're ignorant but then they take time to learn but it's the people that don't bother to make any effort to change or learn or grow and and also as a person you know personally i'm you know super ignorant with certain things like politics and things like that i just don't take the time to learn about because i'm just not interested so i'll be the first to put my hands up and say i'm not an expert on a lot of things but i know that about myself kind of thing but it's yeah it's the ignorance in the pig-headedness but in that that instance you're admitting that you don't know much about it and that's fine and you're not actually bothered about 
necessarily finding out of it but i guess for you you often get people ringing in who also haven't been bothered to find out stuff closed about it, minds. but closed-minded yeah. about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, all for open minds. We've all, mm. I think all the people I know and love and cherish uh, have open minds. I, you know, I just can't, mm. I can't um, imagine being, building a wall around yourself. So, I d nope, don't want to know that. Nope, yeah. don't want to learn that. Nope, don't want to go there. It's, um, it might be a, a comfortable way to live because they go through life unchallenged but i just you know i just i mean here in politics as well without being impartial there you hear people and you still feel that they're at the oxford union debating society mm. <laughs> and they're using that you know sophistry is the great word isn't it they're using false arguments and they know they're false arguments but all they're doing is showing off their debating skills and trying to best the other person and you just want to say get over it grow up mm. actually grow up and you know yeah. look at the facts assess the facts realize that that's wrong yeah that's right and nobody's all wrong and nobody's all right because because we're just human we're just mm. we're just flesh and blood and we make mistakes but let's just look at it and and see what is true and what is good and what is bad and what isn't true and then the world will be a better place thanks very much for having me on i'll see you later yeah. <laughs> Vicky Campbell. Thank you. Oh my God. <laughs> okay uh you know where yeah. the door is <laughs> but there's one time where when it comes to impartiality on the air i had a, a rant against uh trophy hunting and um, I really, I really had a, one of those rants you hear on commercial radio where you're not allowed to be, where, where you can be impartial. Mm. And then we got about 20 texts agreeing with me and stuff like that. And I got slightly ticked off, but I made the case that most people agree with that and that's fine. But then on another occasion, and I just about got away with it, on another occasion, I think it was when Donald Trump said that the answer to gun crime and to mass shootings in schools would be to have teachers be given guns. Do you remember that? Mm, do yeah. teachers in schools? <laughs> yeah. Could be yeah. Given yeah. Guns. I used to be a teacher, and I yeah. can attest to the fact that that's a terrible. It works. Idea. <laughs> yeah, it works. <laughs> and I've got a gun on me now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I said that, and I said, "What a stupid idea!" Da, da, da. And I got into trouble for that because it was actually a political position, and it was mm. slagging off Donald Trump. So when you get somebody like Trump come along, um, uh, it's you know, you, it's it, that, that's a difficult one. It's a really mm. difficult one because you've got to be politically impartial, mm. but he's a cunt. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, have better, we better, better decided <laughs> whether we're going to allow swearing on this podcast yet? <laughs> we are. We are. We are. Okay. I, I can't yeah. say that. Yeah. I can't say that word. No, I just but, said it for comic effect. Yeah. yeah. He's, but he's a lovely you know, person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. You're being impartial. Now. Yeah. <laughs> That's not allowed. It's a bit of both. We're all a bit of both. <laughs> yeah. Aren't we? Yeah. You know, yeah. some people say, oh, look, look at that pure evil. Look at what happened under Pol Pot. Look at what happened under Hitler. Look at how the mm. mass people were were hypnotized. And the, look at the guards at the death camps. Look at what they did. To a certain extent, that's us. Mm. We're capable of that. Human beings are capable of that, given the indoctrination, given the brainwashing, given the, the uh, given the origins, given how you've grown up. So it's not like a, a them and us situation. Mm. They're but for the grace of the fates, the gods go any of us mm. that's not to say these people don't make moral choices but what i'm saying is that is what we as human beings are capable of absolutely yeah it's no it's no new thing this mm. has been happening for many many years and will continue to happen yeah and when many. people say oh look they behave like animals i say excuse me which animals yeah <laughs> which yeah. animals behave like that chimps yeah. can get a bit feisty but look at the beautiful elephant society or look at bonobo mm. society and look at look at the beauty there 
and the, the reconciliation and the love and the mutualism. I love the mutualism of elephant society. They're mm. all there for each other yeah. all the time, don't you? Yeah. Oh, well, you know how I feel. Nikki about that and I and I know how you feel about it as well um and I think we wanted to talk about a little bit about that as well and and your sort of personal connection with wildlife and nature and and pets as well because I know you've got an amazing uh, you know relationship with Ma Maxwell mm. and Misty uh, and Maisie yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Misty and Maisie yeah I've got two West Highland oh. Terriers mother and a daughter I've so got, got Max I've got a dog called Maisie as well <sighs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kindred spirits. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Me. yeah. Something about amazing. Uh, I just, I couldn't live without animals in the house. Mm. And for me, dogs are, they, they stand kind of at the gateway to the wild because they're, there's, there's a little wisp of the wolf. There's a, there's a vestige of a wild creature on the tundra far, far away in a wild place. And you can see little echoes of it in your dog. Mm. And uh, I mean, cats are still wild, aren't they? They're wild animals in the living room. But dogs are kind of halfway towards us and halfway towards that wonderful world. Mm. And that's why I, I love dogs so much. And I, I just think animals are the treasure of our world. And the, how if somebody can't see the beauty, the potential beauty in humans and the beauty in animals as well, I think they are lacking in empathy, mm. lacking understanding. And uh, there's something emotionally stunted about them. Like people who say, oh, I don't like animals. What? Mm. What are you talking about? How can you not like animals? We are animals. They're they're part of, and I use the word advisedly, I don't mean it with a big C, but they're part of an incredible creation. What has evolved over mm. four and a half billion years. And look look at it. Look at a pangolin. Have you ever seen anything so beautiful mm. in your life? That, that little being, that little thing. And also... You know the self-awareness of animals. They, they, you look in, you look in an elephant's eyes or a gorilla's eyes. I've seen gorillas close up. There's someone there. Mm. That's the point. There's someone there. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because with wildlife, you know, there there is someone there, but there's also a, a more of a simplicity. And I don't mean that in like a, you know, a nasty way. Like with humans, humans are just so complicated, aren't we? And and animals, you just take it all back. You take away all of the ego. You strip. If you strip humans of all of the crap, you end up with primates like chimps and, you know, and yeah, for me, that's, I love wildlife. I feel like it's quite common that there is a bit of a disconnect between humans and nature and humans and wildlife. And that's only possibly getting worse with, you know, technology and social media and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, especially since the lockdown, we've all sort of like gone into our little bubbles and now we use technology for literally everything. So we don't n almost need a connection with nature and animals. And it has kind of, yeah, I don't know if it, like when people say they're just not that into animals or that into wildlife and stuff. How can you not be? It's the most beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, I think. And you make it so beautiful as well. You highlight. Oh, thank you. You highlight the beauty of it with your amazing, oh. amazing pictures. Do you, have you heard of um, Damien Aspinall? He's, he has that zoo inverted commas in um, what's it called it's in it's in kent and um it's the i don't like zoos but it's mm. kind of the acceptable face of zoos and as will travers said from mm. born free it's kind of 95 percent okay mm. but what he does yeah. is his family traditionally have had gorillas and he puts them back in the wild in gabon he's got a very good relationship with the president of Gab gabon ali wow. bongo and uh, who who loved animals himself and gabon's actually a, a little bit of uh 
a hold off on some of the worst stuff that's happening. And it's a stronghold of the forest elephant, which is a distinct species from the savannah elephant, they, they now think. Mm. And um, so I went to see his gorillas and they are, they live in the claridges of gorillas and massive, massive amount of space and uh, massive amounts of space to roam and to be warm and to be safe. And they get the very best food delivered. Um, and first of all, we went into his very grand sitting room, Damien's, and there were pictures of his of his father had taken years ago with um, female gorillas with the, with the babies on their chest, the human baby mm. on their chest, looking at the human babies. So they were some part of the same family. Oh, it was wow. just just incredible. Yeah, because they're not these 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 wild creatures of the forest. They are you know empathetic, loving loving beings. Mm. And um, so we went in, and I. I observed them. The first thing that I observed up, up, up at the cage, and like, I don't like cages, don't like animals, but it was my chance to see them uh, close up and to see what was going on. Um, mm. And um, the, the fingernails, mm. our fingernails, mm. our fingernails. Yeah. And also I got a very strong, um, not unpleasant, musky smell because I was quite close and it was a smell I recognized uh, as, mm. a, a, as a not uh, unfamiliar smell that one might mm. have because we've lost our, lost our sense of smell and appreciation and understanding of smells and so it was just it was almost like a, well it was it was a spiritual moment and then we went up and we had a look and there there was this adolescent who'd been misbehaving uh, annoying other members of the family uh, sort of poking them and, and and being bad and being mischievous and the the silverback because it's a male-dominated society guerrilla society uh, and the, the silver mat went up to this teenager and just roared. <laughs> God, that sounds then, like my dad. When I was exactly, a teenager. <laughs> exactly. And then teenagers behaved themselves, you know. Mm. Uh, after that, yeah. it was incredible to watch. And I said, <clears throat> "Excuse me." I said to Damien, "See that one rather withdrawn one over at the corner there, just just on, on his own." Um, and uh, I said, "What's the story there?" And Oh, he said, well, she was um, rescued by helicopter from bushmeat hunters when she was a baby. <clears throat> it was sold to um, somebody in, in Paris and spent her life in a flat in Paris. And because, of course, she got big and strong, she had they had to sedate her with morphine. So she's a morphine addict, but we got her off yeah. the morphine. But because of the experience she's gone through, she's st you know, st still mm. really withdrawn. It's tragic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The illegal, ugh, the illegal pet trade. And we, when we talk about pets, we think of like dogs and cats and the animals that we love. But mm. God, some of the animals that have gone through the illegal pet trade and they're just some of the worst. You know, they're in some of the worst conditions. Um. So in your personal life, how how has your? I said I wasn't going to talk about my personal. Oh, life. Oh, yeah. okay. I, how do? Oh, I've had you've had people like that in interview. I've had people like that. <laughs> Well, and like the stuff about the their personal story. life is in their book. Yeah. And then uh, you yeah. say, can I talk about your personal life? And they say, I'm not talking about my personal life. I'm just going to talk about what's in the book. And I said, it's in the book. And I said, have you read the book? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Did you write the book? Probably not. Well, we have read your book. Whatever you want. Actually, I tell a lie. I listened to your book. So I oh, did you? Audible. Yeah. Oh, I, amazing. I do yeah. that because um, I paint, obviously. So yeah. I have to like multitask. Yeah. I loved it. Absolutely loved hearing all about your, you know, your upbringing and how you sort of have this connection with animals and pets and stuff like that. So I was wondering if you could talk on that a little bit. Like, first of all, um, 
amazing you know you're obviously an amazing broadcaster and you're an incredible person and we're so happy that you're here um I thought Butter was, them up first. Yeah. Have me full. Yeah, but do you know what? I was I was talking to Charles about this yesterday. It's just funny how first of all, you know, you've got a career that's very much sort of in the public eye. You know, you're out there, your voice is being heard by so many people all around the country. And I for me. When you hear about people that do jobs like that, I'm always really intrigued to know, did you ever suffer from any sort of uh, imposter syndrome or fear or, you know, anything that made you feel nervous going on air? Because I, that was one thing that I sort of picked up on your book is that you spoke a lot about your personal life, but you never really spoke in any detail about going on air and like doing that and being in the public and that having any kind of like fear response. Was that kind of like a natural thing for you? Or did you feel like you kind of put on a persona or was there, there fear going on there or? We always feel a bit of imposter. So should I be doing here, doing this? Because I'm so lucky to be doing this. This is amazing. And uh, uh, but but I feel very. I've always felt very comfortable with a microphone because possibly take the microphone away from me and I'm a gibbering wreck. Really, <laughs> there's something about that. And I was obsessed with radio from an early age. And then as as um, I got 12, 13 years old, I discovered that you could phone the local radio station, Radio Forth, and you could uh, get on the air and pretend to be people. And uh, I'd spent my life doing that sort of for, for, for a number of years, you know, phoning up and pretending to be, an, you know, an old woman from Morningside or pretending to be a... <laughs> Could you still do the voice? A local yeah. councillor. <laughs> Could you do an impression? Of uh, the old woman. <laughs> oh, my, my, life's, my life's been threatened by vandals. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And there was, I remember there was a talk show called uh, Dial Webster. It was a Sunday morning. And I spent, we spent, uh, you know, months just being all the characters on it as well. And... Uh, because we were pretty good. I was doing it with um, two friends of mine, both of whom are actors now, and we uh, uh, we just we just had such such great fun. I remember them saying, "Last week was a remarkable show. Thank you, one and all." And I said, "Thank you, one." Um, <laughs> you know, we had a self-confessed vandal. Yes, we had an old woman whose life had been terrorized by vandals. Yes, we had a doctor advising on rabies. Yes, a vet, oh, yeah. a vet oh, that's advising. That's my personal favorite. Yeah. yeah, where you told people that they should be bathing in dettol. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> my mum and dad were doing. We had a little terraced house in Edinburgh, and mum and dad were doing the roses outside. They were snipping the roses and um, uh, doing a little bit of uh, tinkering in the front in the front garden. Uh, which is a few yards and then the main road. And I saw that they were out there. So I, I rang up the radio station to be on. And I, I knew I was going to do it. I put the radio, I placed the radio out there just while they were, they were cutting the roses. And that, so I rang up and I said, there was a, some scare about rabies getting to Edinburgh or something. Mm. And um, I, I rang up and said, I'm, a, I'm a, a practicing vet. And he said, oh, great. This is great that you've called. Um, so I want to talk talk to you about this because we were asking for somebody to call up about rabies. I said, "Well, I, I know everything about it. I've actually studied it <laughs> for my PhD. I studied about uh, rabies as well. I'll, I'll tell you something. It's a terrible, terrible <laughs> disease." And I saw mum and dad looking at each other. <laughs> and they said, "What? What? What should? What should we do if we think?" I said. Immediately go up to the bath, fill the bath with water, and then chuck a load of dettol in it, and um, bathe in dettol. Bathe in dettol, and that will uh, will make you um, immune to rabies. Um, and so on it went. And I saw mum, and then mum mum walked in, 
to the house and she went, there's a dreadful man on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. To me, that just, it's... It takes such bravery, I think, to do that. That's exciting. But you were saying mm, you were 12, exciting. 13. Mm. I mean, I'm a bit older, age, about 14 or 15 then, yeah. But, but still, you know, when you're mm. a teenager, you're so self-conscious. Or mm. most, most people are, mm. <laughs> clearly. You know, you had some bravery about you to be able to phone up a radio show and put on these personas. And it's so exciting. Of... It's so exciting and amazing. It was like a bungee jump. It was, um, yeah. it was like getting on a motorcycle and going 110 miles an hour or doing something like that was just knowing that you're on the radio and there's people that I just felt really comfortable with it Mm. as I say you know you know gawky and and awkward and socially inadequate the rest of the time Mm. but I just I just found that and I was obsessed with radio as well growing up just listen to it all the time that local radio national radio radio one radio two radio three radio four I just loved it I just loved the magic of it you know some somebody just Ah, you know, talking to a microphone and connecting. Um, and and I, I love the fact that it's one-to-one, but it's also one-to-a-million-and-one as mm. well. I love that. Yeah. Do you feel like that you've kind of taken that into your career, that sort of ability to put on a persona and, and use that as almost like a mask when you're on air? To an extent, but I think that um, I, I love um, going through the fourth wall, if you like, lifting the curtain. And, 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 and as I think as you get more experienced, you can do that. I think the most successful broadcasters are those for whom there's a, as little gap between the persona and the person. Mm. as Like Wogan. Wogan's the, the ultimate because mm. there was no gap between the persona and the person. Was there? And I think, you, I think I've spent my life trying to close that gap. I mean, if you watch the old Top of the Pops, you know, that's not me. Is it? You know, kind of this ridiculous stuff. Whoa, 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 little boy showing off, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but, um, you know, radio is a medium whereby it's very, um, it's easier to get there on mm-hmm. the because you're just talking to somebody. And I think some of the television that I've done, yeah, but when, you know, Long Lost Family, for example, you, you forget you're on the telly mm-hmm. um, and you can just be yourself because I understand that territory. But, um, and also, but debate shows, although it's, it, it is you. It's just you being in a situation whereby you're organising a debate and asking people questions. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, but it's you learn every day, don't you? Mm. You learn every day. Yeah. I was going to say because there's one thing about being a broadcaster as well, because you're kind of um, making people feel less alone to a certain extent. Mm. And and I wondered actually writing your book, for example, and speaking about your various experiences, was that an opportunity for you to feel maybe a little less alone in some of the experiences you've had yeah, over the years? Yeah, well, it's good to share. We tell each other yeah. stories. We get around the campfire. Talking to the microphone, you want the microphone just a little bit further away. Okay, thank you. Because you're popping us all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Send you the invoice. So um, <laughs> basically, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to share. And the stuff I wrote about, you know, bipolar, and this being bipolar and the stuff I wrote about and my birth mother and the connection and my adoptive parents, how amazing that was. And I miss them every day. And the fact that the only reason I, tra- I, I well, tracing my adoptive, uh, uh, tracing my birth mother was a huge, I, I felt I'd been so disloyal and why was I doing that? And it was all muddled up and mixed up. Mm. And just to, to tell that, I, you just know from people getting in touch with you that that resonates. And the whole adoption thing, I think it's good to talk about it and good to write about it and good to explain how you felt because if other people felt the same way, they wouldn't feel that they're so alone mm. as well. I don't want to sound sanctimonious about this, but it's to share stories like that, I think is really good. 
yeah. really, really, really good. My, I love people when they share their stories with me as well, because I, then I think, oh, yeah, that's that's how I felt. And, oh, you did that. I didn't do that. I did that. And oh, wow, that's incredible. I love mm. I love that as well, because if you're not interested in other people, you might as well not be doing this. You know? Yeah, I think that's why your book was so enjoyable to read as well, because it's like, you know, stories about your life. I mean, autobiographies in general are always good I think personally to read but yeah it's just funny stories and and the story about you phoning up the radio as a teenager and stuff and I was like giggling away like how well like how did you you know how it was a validation as well Sophie because I'd go to school and with a the old um, cassette player and go into a class at break time and play the cassette of the phone calls and <laughs> over the weekend and there was a massive amount of people listening and the classroom was bulging with people listening and laughing and, mm. and, and clapping, you know. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, you spoke about, obviously, the adoption quite a lot in your book. And so what I what I got from that was that there was a sort of sense of trying to find your place in the world a little bit in terms of identity and a fear of people almost finding out that you were adopted or a fear of people who knew you were adopted kind of calling you out on it in, mm. in some way. And I remember you said that there was a time when one of your friends said to you, like, oh, do you know why you've got blue eyes mm. and your mum has green eyes or something? Mm. And, you know, your heart sort of dropped to your stomach. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm about to be found out. Like, it's this terrible secret. And yet. I just I was just wondering if you could sort of speak on that because it seems like there's like kind of a big difference between your personal life and feeling these sorts of feelings of like fear and shame and and abandonment perhaps and then you know in your the other side of that is you've got quite a confidence about you and you're kind of like phoning up radio shows as a teenager and you've got all these friends like you know you've got this confidence in other areas of your life do you feel like there was a sort of difference between the two you know you've got home life and then radio life or anything like that well, you've with a lot of adopted people never feel totally valid, mm. and they all f always feel that other people see them as um, not quite, not quite belonging, uh, not quite being who they are, not quite being who they should be, and so I think, I think we all, and I've spoken to a lot of adopted people through Long Lost Family and through all the other stuff. Uh, I think we all have that little bit of insecurity and. And, and you know a sense of it's, it's all right having a sense of self but if you, you've got to know who yourself is you've got to know who you are mm. who you might have been is a nagging thing um all all your life who who you might have been who you could have been and you start obsessing about nature and nurture um so yeah i mean it's there's a there's a burden with adoption but that i would god i was so lucky mm. you know carrying this burden and carrying this insecurity is is one thing and feeling that I didn't belong. But I was so lucky with my mum and dad. They were just incredible. And I always say that, you know, people talk about when they say to me, oh, have you traced your real mum? I say, hey, the, my real mum is my mum. My real mum is my mum who I grew up with, who adopted me. That's my real mum. And he was my he was my real dad. Mm. Um, and um, But I still think about that night when I met my birth mother in 1989. And I was in a hotel in Dublin. I met her in the foyer. I still think about that. I still think about sitting there with her. And then suddenly, the minute she came in, I started thinking about, uh, what about mom and dad? You know, they're our real mom and dad. And then she, because she started to try and be my mummy, you know, to, and then we went to her flat in the evening. She was like cooking for me. I forgot, I've never felt like that in my life. I just, I wanted to 
run away. Mm. I just wanted to run as fast as I could somewhere else. Um, and it was nothing to do with her. It was to, to, just to do with the fact that, you know, I just, I just realized that, um, you know, it's, that's where I belonged. Although, you know, it was great to connect with her. It was great to understand. It's great to, to know who she was, what she'd been through. Um, she had two children adopted within the space, within the space of 18 months, both of us adopted in Edinburgh. And, uh, I met, um, my, I say in the book, I met my, my birth sister, Esther, she got in touch with me. And there's a funny thing about that because, and this, this, this really does apply when we're talking about sperm donation as well. Um, because my mother said one day she came in because I did have a vague recollection that my birth mother, Stella had had another child, a daughter. I had a vague recollection of it that I'd been told at some stage. But when I was about 14, 15, 16, I remember mum was stalking outside the room and then she came in and she said, I need to talk to you. And I said, what? She said, um, are any of your girlfriends adopted? Mm. Yeah. God, yeah. Because Edinburgh is quite a small place. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, I said, no, you know, she, because she explained that. And I thought, oh yeah, it all fits into place. But she was a year and a half older than me. But then when I met Esther, I um, we were exchanging notes because we were both sent to quite posh schools in Edinburgh. And we were, and it's that sort of thing. Oh, do you know him? Or do you know her? Do you know him? Oh, I know, yeah, all that family, and I know them. And there's a friend of mine who's a friend of her, and she's a friend of his. And I said, um, so who, you, who was your friend at school? She said, well, Julia Crichton was my best friend at school. Do you know her brother, Matt? I said, he was one of my best friends. Matt was one of my best friends. That's incredible. And um, she said, well, the entire summer um, in 1978, my parents were away and I stayed with the Kreitmans. It was the 78, the summer of 78. And I said, oh, that was the summer of the World Cup, 1978, Scotland, Argentina. Every day I went back to Matt's house with Ian and we sat on their sofa and we watched the football smoking Benson and Hedges. <laughs> and uh, she said, um, I remember you. Wow. I remember wow. the three of you sitting there. And I said, and you were Julia's friend. I, I remember you. Yeah. Blimey. Yeah, you'd, you'd kind of been like orbiting each other for mm. a while in mm. similar circles and stuff with no idea mm. that you were actually like half siblings. But she was the big sister's friend, you know, so it was, there was, there was that, it was a year and a half is a lot when you're 15, yeah. Yeah, 16. Yeah. I was at 78, 17. A year and a half is like, a, <clears throat> it's like a generation away, isn't it? Yeah, mm. that's incredible. Incredible, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, mm. when we did meet, we we very quickly had our. It's the first thing she said to me was, "Hey, you're not very tall." <laughs> <laughs> Can nice. You believe that, yeah. Because no. she, you have, you much look much bigger on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was kind of oh, ideas man. of people, and uh, I said uh, what I always say. I said, you know, I'm five foot eleven and three quarters, and. Uh, <laughs> and she said uh, well she was expe expectations great expectations mm. tall expectations mm. she had in her mind some six foot four inch rugby player or something like that but yeah uh, you're not short though i'm not short but i'm not a six foot four inch rugby player yeah. you just it just had had her had you when you kind of knew that she was out there somewhere had you built up an idea of what she looked like or what she was going to be like well i thought she'd look like me but she doesn't look like me you with I, a wig yeah 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 well, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool um 
but I, no, I, I just I thought she would look like me, but she looks very different. She's yeah. kind of more angular. Um, but then when we traced her birth father and sort of met her relatives, we kind of she looks like them. Mm. But there are similar, of course, there are similarities. What is interesting is that we, our brains work in a very different, in a very similar way, very similar way. Mm. You know, the brain is an organ, and it's um, it goes there and it goes there. And you can, I can, and, and I find it very easy to talk to her. And we talk in the same way to each other. And my sister, who I love deeply, who I grew up with, um, we're very different when it comes to that. And I, I've, I find it quite hard phoning Fiona a lot because she'll she wants an hour on the phone, mm. which is it, which is her. You know, mm. she's an amazing person, she, but she likes an hour on the phone, and I like five minutes on the phone. Mm. I think I think you can do everything in five minutes, and Esther's the same. So it's just little things like that. You know, how you doing? Fine, fine, fine. Bit of a laugh, bit of a laugh, bit of info, bit of a laugh, bit of info. How you doing? See you later. Boom. It's all there. Mm. It's all there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, so, I, but looking for, you look for similarities, don't you? You look for things that are the same. And we couldn't f immediately find any. So we got down to taking our shoes and socks off. Because I actually mentioned, I've got a very, very strange second toe. <laughs> and she said, so have I. <laughs> and so so we had our shoes and socks off and uh they're identical i'll, I'll show you now yeah i was gonna say yeah, i was yeah. asking a question like is it actually weird or is it one of those things where you it's think not webbed, it's is weird, it? but it's, it's not, not webbed <laughs> I said, yeah i've got six toes yeah um now what it is, is this is a podcast first examining <laughs> people's feet yeah, yeah. podiatrist cast <laughs> yeah. oh my goodness nice we could, we could nice yeah <laughs> Thanks. No, it's just that it's, it's, you see the second one, a horrible thing. I wouldn't say that that's that unusual. You've basically it's a lot longer. Got a, that, you've so, got a long toe. So I've got very similar long toe, second toe. Yeah. I think that's, that, that's a Greek toe. Is it? Oh. So you've got Greek, you've got Greek toes. Because there's what, a different. Why are they called Greek toes? Well, see, I think a Roman toe is they slant down. Yeah, I've got Roman down. toes. Yeah. But Have Greek, you? yeah. Greek, your second toe is longer than the um, big toe. It's, it's quite what? common. It's, mm. It is common. But um, it's distinctive. Yeah, and I knew someone that had that, and she yeah. was obsessed with it. All she all used to talk about was her long toe, and like yeah. the time we went on holiday, she'd be, "Oh, I can't get my long toe out." <laughs> <laughs> but what was it's what, impressive, Nikki? I thank you. Think, yeah. What was great was seeing somebody else who had the same feet. Right? Yes, are, that is the story of adoption, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, mean, I think me and my sister have the same almost identical feet. Yeah, you might need this for, for the publicity. Let's take a picture. We definitely yeah. need Actually, this for I'm the publicity. Actually, I'm going to take a picture yeah. of you. Take yeah. a picture of your think, toe. Yeah, take a picture of me, take a picture of my toe. This isn't how I imagined this would go down. <laughs> oh, yeah, look. They're horrible, horrible feet. But who who has nice feet, though? To who does? Exactly. Come on. I mean, like, you exactly. know. I don't know. Sometimes I see people with nice feet and I'm like, You've got nice feet, and then oh, they think okay. it's weird that I've brought it up. Yeah, Beyonce's got nice feet. Yeah, I bet she has. Yeah, she wouldn't. Beyonce wouldn't be. What do you mean you bet? Oh, you haven't seen them then. No, just I just reckon it. she would have nice I feet. Yeah, mind you, she does a lot. She of dancing. Wears a lot of heels. She's probably yeah. got. Yeah, you're right. They're right. Absolutely. Yeah, but it's not like I have a foot fetish. I just want to say. When you see this a is nice taking a turn. Now, all the pictures. I've got thousands of pictures of people's feet at home, and I've. <laughs> Another oh, one to add to the wall. Yeah. But that was it. That was it. Yo, that's, that's what we use on Widdicombe's the feet. Oh my God. Are they? <laughs> yeah. Sexy. Sexy Where, feet, Widdicombe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, I, um, that was it. That's adoption. You know, look, yeah. Look at that. You feel like me. Somebody's like you, even if yeah. it's their feet. Mm. You know, and then we yeah. had. And you could are... say, like, you, you, you found mutual friends 
that were similar. So there was obviously you were drawn well, together. Well, a foot fetish club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's where you met. You left that That's out of right. your story originally. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Um, just finding finding someone who's like you. All your life you want to find somebody who's like you, people who are like you. And, yeah. Uh, I'm, I mean, I completely get when people are brought up in, um, you know, um, across what do you go cross um cross cultural adoptions mm. and so and i've spoken to so many kids you know black kids who grew up in white families and you get you get it in a general sense just wanting to have be have someone who's like me mm. well now someone who looks like me and that's just an adoption thing but it's an adoption thing times a million yeah for a kid who's grown up in that situation and having done a lot of work in adoption knowing what it's like and so if you mentioned the blue eye thing mm. my friend said to me why have you got blue eyes and i said oh I'm different. Mm. I'm different. Imagine what it's like with if your skin color is different, if your ethnicity yeah. is different, and understanding that as far as we go, as far as we can, we need to f have matches, adoption matches, because it was difficult enough for me. Mm. So goodness only what it's like. And I said that once in an interview, and then the Telegraph like really did <laughs> me for it. The Telegraph oh, really? put this thing about. Yeah, okay, yeah, saying that love is love at the end of the day is matter, and you can if your adoption is it doesn't matter if you're black or white and stuff like that. I remember when they rang me up and they said, "Did you really say that?" And I said, "Yeah, it's, every single adoption agency in Britain says it." Next question, mm. Mm. you know, yeah. next question. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, what you're talking about is belonging, isn't it? Mm. At the end of the day, and and obviously, growing up, you kind of had your issues with that. Do you feel like when you met your biological mum? it's kind of solidified your belonging with your adoptive family. You know, yeah, you suddenly had more of a connection with your parents because you saw them for their work. Yeah, that's a great question because a really good question because it's um, it sort of uh, confirmed everything mm. and, and made made sense. And because I knew, because I'd had the question answered, a lot of people in Long Lost Families say, oh, but what if it's not a happy ending? You, you introduce people and what if there's not a happy ending? And I always say that, well, it is a happy ending because anything else is a bonus that this person now has all the questions about their past they've got a brand new past but all those questions are answered and they've met their birth mother or their sister or their brother or the father or the son whatever so now they know and they won't be going through the rest of their life wondering mm. so i'd stopped wondering and wondering so i'd stopped wondering and wondering and uh, i knew and i you, you you come back you come home and it's a place you've never been to but it's a better place mm. in, a, in a sense and uh but I, you know, I cherish my my um, relationship with her. I've met some, also meeting my birth father. I've met lots of fascinating relatives, and uh, I, I I I don't regret it. She was very needy, and she was, you know, she'd had a difficult life. She'd had an awful life, but um, I I think that you know, bipolar type two that I am. She was bipolar type one. She was very ill throughout a lot of her life, and. I think the, she had these. She was a Protestant nurse. She had wild affairs with two Catholic policemen, young Catholic policemen in Dublin. One of whom was the father of Esther. The other was the father of me. Mm. And uh, the operative being on the wild, and that's fine because you know having a manic fit and having having sex and this you know led to me. Mm. And I think that when I was diagnosed with bipolar i felt it was it's been difficult um but also i quite enjoy the ups and the ups have been really good in my career um i adhd is a big massive comorbidity but all that stuff is good uh, you know if it's under control 
because the brain can go bingity bing, bingity bing, bingity bing. And that's um, very useful in my life. But I did feel when I found that out that it was uh, a gift to me in some senses. Mm. We are what we are, mm. you know. Mm. We are, and people, I think people categorize in mental health and say, we, you're like that, and you're, we over medicalize and we over label to an extent, but everyone's what they are, aren't they? Yeah, I was going to say to you, did that give you some, not closure as such, because obviously works in progress, but actually finding out those diagnoses is actually help a bit. I mean, the ADHD thing, is that a, is that a relatively new thing after the bipolar diagnosis, or was that something that came together? Well, it, it, it was after the bipolar diagnosis because my daughter's ADHD, mm. and um, she um, she has to, she was diagnosed. She was useless at school. She was diagnosed. We were lucky enough to be uh, a privileged, and I, I thank my lucky stars that we were in a situation to get a proper diagnosis, and then to, to get the proper medication. And she literally she took the medication, uh, for when she was working. And she went from disaster at school to A stars mm. like that. And part of me thinks that's fantastic. Mm. And the other part of me weeps inside at the potential that is that is out there and kids who are not diagnosed, kids who are not in a privileged situation that I'm in or that Kirsty's in and kids who are suffering uh, all the time, who could be brilliant, you mm. know, who could be running a country mm. uh, a lot better than the country is being run <laughs> who could be uh, and it's it breaks it that breaks my heart it does and i feel actually i, I carry the burden of middle class guilt about that every day because i think i am so lucky yeah yeah of course because you were sort of able to get mm. get a diagnosis and treatment as well which has kind of helped you so when i went so she basically said look you you are a, you've got all the clients signs of adhd and i said no it's bipolar that's what it, she said. No, no, no. I just, you know, because she's read all the books. Mm -hmm. and Tina, my wife's read all the books. Said, you classic, classic signs of it. You know, yeah, you can't, you can't watch a film. You have to keep asking everybody what's going on. She's your brain drift drifts away. You can't do that. You can't do that. But then you get the hyper focus, get complete hyper focus mm. on stuff. Um, and I said, ah. <laughs> and they said, go and get checked out again. I'd luck enough. I went to along to a guy checked out, and he, he had a thing. He said. Do you da 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 da? Yeah. Do you da 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 da? Yeah. And he, I did this massive, I was like tick to 98% of the stuff. Wow. And I said, no, I'm bipolar type two. He said, no, there's a 30% comorbidity in my bipolar type two with ADHD. Well, now, as I'm saying this, I'm very, very aware that I'm. it's labeling and it's medicalizing and it comes back to my first point. But it does explain a lot. It mm. does explain a lot about how I think and what I've done. Because he said, that's the other thing. He said, it's not a condition for you. It's not a problem because you're relatively intelligent. Uh, well, thanks very much. <laughs> I've ticked that one off. Yeah, <laughs> okay. You've got great feet. <laughs> exactly. You've got great feet. You've nailed it. No, you've got great feet. You're, you're, you're relatively intelligent and you're in a job that is 100% suited yeah. to your brain. Yeah. Mm. I've, I've got friends who have uh, ADHD and stuff like that and some, some diagnosed, some suspected and stuff like that. And what strikes me Sitting is that- Next to one of them. Yeah, I don't want to say. Have you? Have you, you, think you know? I haven't been diagnosed, but I'm. Yeah. I'm pretty, pretty sure. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What you like at school? But, you know, oh, awful! It's terrible. Yeah. yeah, absolutely terrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then you find your niche. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, and and again, I I like my brain. It's probably quite annoying for other people, but yeah. I like the way my brain works. Completely. So I wouldn't mm. necessarily want to get a diagnosis. Yeah, you yeah. know, it wouldn't give me any closure or anything. It wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't bother me. I did a um, a podcast on it with 
Ian Lee, who's got ADHD, and mm. bipolar, same as me, and my daughter Kirsty, who's great on the podcast, who's great, and uh, we did po- podcast together. And it's like three ADHD people in there. It's uh, <laughs> we, we keep changing the subject from each other. One person, and at one point, I went, "What are you thinking of right now?" We're all having a conversation about something. And what are you thinking of right now? And what are you thinking of right now? And what think, we're all thinking of different things. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! But, but I've got a having, monkey having that's a clashing two yeah. <laughs> symbols together in my yeah, head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was it was really you know that thing that you know that thing where you know all of a sudden you come come from a tangent about something completely different mm. and everyone goes whoa wait where did that come from all the time yeah yeah well yeah. i think people with different sort of brain you know people that think in different ways or you know people that are neurodivergent or whatever you want to call it and the other thing about it is you just interrupt people yeah i know i noticed that with him <laughs> and you know what the more Sorry, excited to do that. it gets the more interrupting there is <laughs> just the gag <laughs> i was like oh sorry so Sophie, prepared for that <laughs> Sophie, what were you saying what were you saying um anyway what was I <laughs> <laughs> see this is it like i don't think i have adhd no. or anything mm. like that and uh yeah i don't know i've got other stuff going on yeah, though don't, don't yeah. get me wrong yeah. but yeah like they're often it's all the, it's always the creative people and the people the reason why i probably have quite a lot of people in my life that do have these sorts of things going on is because i tend to drift towards creative people or people who are a bit different or just have different ways of looking at the world and so for me for me looking you know as an outsider looking in i see it as their superpower you know like i wouldn't want to change anybody in my life and and my friend who who uh, has ADHD calls it a sparkle or something. Yeah. Like, mm. yeah, I think it's a nice way of looking at, at that. And, you know, as long as it's under control and, and you know, the lows aren't affecting you. And your life negatively. suits as well. Yeah. Your life's yeah. got, and your job's got to suit. Otherwise, can you imagine you'd be like, you're like a caged animal, mm. you know, in that, in that situation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you were undiagnosed for many years. And so did you find that the lows were particularly difficult or was it they were kind of you know manageable and it was just getting that diagnosis which kind of made your life a bit easier well the the bipolar lows were terrible mm. in all my life i just thought oh you know yeah, i mean you know but it's giles it's just you know it's just it's all consuming isn't it and it's that you know um it's that um uh, you know if, even if someone says are you okay just the effort of just the kind of explain why you're not okay is just mm. you know. but when i had i talk about it as well in 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 the book, I hate people in interviews who say I say that in the book. Yeah, I hate that. So I will. will so I say, yeah, just that I, you know. Anyway, I say this in the book. I once interviewed somebody, and, and they <laughs> said it like every part. I say this in the book, and it's in the book. And it's yeah, like, yeah. I spend my life taking that bit bit out. Just <laughs> in fact, I brought the book with me actually. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they sounded bad. They sounded like a plug. You know, I'm not plugging the book anymore. It's out. It's been Find and it's gone. We won't yeah. say what it's called. Well, <laughs> oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's been and it's gone. But um, I, I had this breakdown. Um, at uh, I was basically I was at work, and I was not consciously on work because I was fixated with. Um, something that I'd, I'd I searched elephants on for the news and news, and I was excited with something that happened in India, where a family of elephants had been scythed through and mowed down by one of those mm. trains that goes through the forest, hurtles through the forest, and the the, the the elephants who survived from the family were trying to get back to their dead loved ones, and there was lots of people around, and it just it absolutely broke my heart and became utterly fixated with it. I couldn't do anything until so like the Secretary of State for Business and Industries on and joins us now. So tell us, about, I mean, surely this particular plan for industry is not going to work because of the pressure. But boom, 
And I'm going like that. And I'm just said, listen, can, can bear, I was in complete autopilot. And then when it finished, I had to go up to Manchester. It was, a use, uh, it was a broadcasting house. And I could have literally stumbled out. And the whole world was getting on top of me. And it had building, building, building up to a climax. And I got to Euston Station. And I collapsed at Euston Station. There used to be a green sward of grass there. And I collapsed. And I just started weeping and weeping and weeping. And um, the... Um, the uh, it's te it's te it's terrible. It's difficult to talk about it, but so that and then people were kind of just walking past, and I'm sure that a couple would say, "Oh, that's the bloke who used to do Top of the Pops. He's a, oh. no, he's a twat <laughs> then, he's a twat now." And but oh, but, but I um people just they walk over you, don't they? I wasn't I wasn't at the time thinking, "Why is everybody walking over me? Why doesn't somebody help me?" But I just mm. thinking back, people just walk past you. How strange! I know. Yeah. I, Nobody. I was literally weeping. And and I, and I rang Tina and said, "This is terrible. I can't carry on with this. I can't carry on with this." And then she said, "Come home, uh, come home to us, and you know, we'll, we'll we'll get it all sorted out. We'll get it all sorted out. Get in a taxi and come home." And then she said, "Come home to Maxwell." And it, my doc, and I just knew that I wouldn't have to communicate. I could communicate on a completely different level. And I got home. And I was weeping and crying. And Tina took me upstairs and I'd lay me on the bed. And then I just heard the tinkle of the collar and he jumped up on it a bit and he put his, put his head on my chest. And um, there was, that's, the, that's the empathy of the wild. Mm. That's the understanding of the pack, understanding how everyone's feeling on a very, on a very profound and um, deep level. Profound and deep are the same words, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. A very special connection that animals, higher mammals have and understand and need to have and understand. And it's not Disney, it's Darwin. It's a complete survival of the pack. And he knew, he absolutely knew that I was not in a good place and he made me better. Yeah, it's like a full, it's like a full circle moment, isn't it? You know, you felt that way because of the way that humans were treating animals. Mm. And, you know, on on route home, while you're clearly suffering, humans are just kind of like bulldozing past you, mm. you know, without really paying any attention. And then it's Maxwell that comes in and sort of, yeah, it's it's amazing. And yeah, it's it's good to hear that from somebody say you know, speaking up about wildlife and and animals and yeah. Their, their empathy mm. as well. I mean elephants, you know, they're altruistic mm. creatures. Elephants are very mm. intelligent. I, I do love an elephant. In fact, I, I do think most people do like elephants actually. They're quite popular. In, just in terms of my artwork, I find that people love. I'm just going to put a well. plug in here. They sell well. Sophie Green Fine Art. <laughs> 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 no, the, the elephants are popular. And I don't know if that's just, you know, people like to have an elephant. Mm. Like, oh, I love elephants. But, or if people have had experiences with elephants. Like They've got a huge people. emotional range as well, elephants. Yeah. To see an ele a family of elephants mourning its dead is one of the most affecting sights in nature. Oh, it's yeah. incredible. To, it's, it's heartbreaking. But it's also kind of life affirming as well mm. when you see. That, that that level of understanding and self-awareness existing out with humanity and our own species which so often lacks empathy and understanding and self-awareness it's kind of it's it's god with a small g i'm not religious but it's mm. that that's that's the, the famous american evolutionary biologist had a great f phrase for the religious um you're looking for god in all the wrong places mm. Yeah, that's very profound. It's good for I'm going for a piss. Is that all right? Okay. Am I allowed to? Well, well I was going to say, well. like, we, I mean, yeah, <laughs> Nikki, I mean, yeah. it's been fantastic yeah. to Thank talk you to you so today. Much. And obviously, we've kind of come full circle because we sort of started on this. Mm. Um, 
thank you for sharing you know your experiences with us and you know it's really, fine really appreciate it really appreciate it and uh we'll say they go 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 for another week do you want to come out and say yeah. goodbye in a minute yeah yeah okay right right <laughs> i think i might have had the door go actually yeah that yeah. might have been really might be, yeah what time is it should we do some jokes while we wait do you know any jokes I know, uh, no. Not but rude ones. I don't know any rude ones. I can't retain jokes. Yeah, no, I've, I've struggled to remember them as well. The only joke I ever say the kids, it's like a kid's joke, is um, what you call an, um, an exploding ape. Mm, don't tell this in front of Nikki. No. <laughs> a baboon. <laughs> oh, God. That's the only joke I can oh, remember. Oh, man. Not yeah, I can only remember really, really bad ones. Uh, this was already open. Oh, I'm up for mine. Mm. I haven't got keys. <laughs> Any more? That's better. Yeah. Oh God. Um. The um. Yeah. Great. The um. The, my podcast uh, is back. Is back at the beginning of um. Um. When is it? When are we are beginning of March. Are we in February now? Yeah, beginning yeah. of March, end of the month. And uh, by the time this goes out, it'll probably have been out. Yes. Yeah, it was well out. But episode one, and uh, I have heard it. it is, I think it's one of the most incredible things I've ever done um, oh, okay. uh, that I've been involved with is that all the all the stuff at the Edinburgh Academy, all the abuse that we've been talking mm. about. And this guy, Edgar, who abused, I witnessed his abuse when we were 10 years old, but he abused so many of my friends and contemporaries. And he's still, you know, at large, although now somebody has come forward in South Africa. Um, where he taught as well. Um, there was a abuser at my school called uh, Hamish Dawson, who uh, as well, another one, there's lots of them, but another one who abused me and many other people, sexually abused me and many other people. And when all that publicity came out, we tried to get in touch with Hamish Dawson's family because I was going to talk about it and he's dead. Mm. And we made great efforts, but we couldn't get anywhere. The school didn't pass anything on. And so his daughter saw it in a headline, right? Um, and she was estranged from him, completely estranged from him. She didn't know the extent of it. She, he knew he was, a, he was a bad person. She didn't know quite how bad. And then she got in touch. And she's reached out to a lot of the boys who were abused by Hamish Dawson. And uh, she wanted to do the podcast. And so I, I sat down, went to a studio in Edinburgh. And Jenny, she's, she's an incredible woman, um, amazing woman, so brave. And um, she's a psychotherapist. Uh, as well, mm -hmm. and uh, I had a, a, a conversation with her in the in the podcast. You know, it's wow. quite, quite, yeah. What's yeah. it called? The podcast? A different, different. Yeah, brilliant. I, yeah, and was did that again using the word closure? Did it obviously didn't do that, but did it give you an opportunity to obviously to talk to her about these experiences? And she was obviously estranged from her father anyway. Mm. But do you think it gave her some closure? Perhaps? I think it did. I think she she thought it was an important thing to do. On behalf of, of of all the all the others who suffered, yeah. um, and uh, I think she did, and that's why to use the phrase "reaching out" was so amazing. And I think it, it may it helped her make sense of stuff mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as well. Um, I mean, that whole process has been we put our, we, we had the lid on it for so long, and then I just heard this radio program, and it just whew, it all went like that. And it's been a good thing, you know. 
lots of lots of solidarity lots of guys of a certain age who are still little boys you know when when they think about it all so yeah that's been a that's that's all been a good thing so that's one to to watch out for different amazing yeah different. yeah what a what an incredible mm. thing to do um and I'm sure there'll be probably be so many people out there that will also benefit from listening to that with well, similar experiences. Well, and when we, we did it, when I first came out about it and spoke about it on the radio, they had to do it all day on Five Live because the lines went crazy with people who'd never spoken about it before. Never. And it's happened to so many people, so many people mm. um, when they were when they were children. I mean, what do we you know, what do we do about it? What's I don't know. But, you know, it's kids are still suffering. But there has to be mandatory reporting and all that. But that apart, this has been amazing. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, Nikki. Thank and you I, very much. I, I really appreciate how candid you've been with us and uh, and appreciate your time today. So thank I you so it. much. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah, I guess people should go and check out the podcast different. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and buy yeah, the books as well. Yeah. Called... Yeah called one of the fat part of the family one of, fam one of the family fam oh, we are fa <laughs> we are family uh, <laughs> just I got all my sisters and me yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a family affair <laughs> yeah. uh, I feel like you got that name from somewhere but I can't quite yeah. put my finger on it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one of the family yeah because yeah. a big picture of Maxwell on the front good. yeah it's a beautiful picture yeah. of you and Maxwell yeah. and great. it was during lockdown when we had the photograph taken so we can't get a photographer around we can't get a photographer around. but I have one of those nice cameras yeah and mm. so I said to Kirsty, my uh, ADHD daughter She's got a very good eye. I said to her, that's how we define her. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, ADHD, as she calls herself. Oh. So we, uh, she took At least she's not letting it define her. No, 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 exactly. Yeah. We're doing, doing that for her. She's doing, yeah, <laughs> she's doing theology at uni at the moment. Um, and she, the best kind of theologist, she thinks, you know, religion is bollocks, but she, yeah. she loves it. And um, she took the photograph. And she took a really good photograph. Fantastic. And they have a standard kind of photographic fee that books have to pay legally. You take a photograph on the book. Lots of people read the book. You have to pay a fee. So she got 300 quid for it. Fantastic. So she, yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. You're definitely keeping it in the family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nikki Campbell, thank you so much. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Giles, Sophie, brilliant. Loved it. Thank you for listening to Unquestionable. We'd love to hear from you on social media by searching for Unquestionable Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.